strike up a conversation with at least one person in every elevator that you step into. Welcome to the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Each interview, we talk to leaders who differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. These conversations lead to thought-provoking idea sharing and growth accompanied by entertaining storytelling. Welcome along on our journey to lifelong learning, improved performance, and a look inside the competitive mindset. The Greatest Games Podcast interviews coaches of all levels about the greatest games they have ever been a part of. Chris and Brian post two episodes per week that explore these great games and also takes a dive into each coach's journey and some lessons that they have learned along the way. Catch The Greatest Games Podcast on all podcast platforms as well as thegreatestgames.podbean.com. Brian Rosefield is the Athletic Director at Ridgeview High School in South Carolina. He is also the Director of the Bash Basketball Tournament and a co-host of The Greatest Games Podcast. Brian Rosefield, welcome to the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Really? Glad to be here. Appreciate the invite. I'm happy to have you and get the chance to catch up with you again as we talk briefly every once in a while, but you have some exciting things that have gone on in your life lately that I want to pick your brain about. I'm an open book, Billy Kegler, and that's, uh, as we were talking pre-show, it's a, a real hoot to have gotten to know you through the podcast world, and so I'm, I'm happy to share anything with you and share anything with your listeners, and so I'm ready. So, Brian, tell me a little bit about your journey and how it's led to where you are now. Wow. So I, I grew up in South Carolina. I loved basketball from an early age, Billy, and just, you know, I was one of those kids out in the backyard just counting down, three, two, one, NBA championship. Here we go. Let's do it again. Do it again. And just really, really fell in love with the game early on. Fast forward to age 15, I'm playing a, a very low-level basketball uh, here in South Carolina, private school basketball, six foot one, and was just slow. And I could shoot the ball a little bit, but had the opportunity to play all through school. And just really about the age of 15, decided that, that I wanted to coach. And I I was able to pick up on ideas, pick up on X's and O's from from the one through the five and just really got to where I really loved the game. And I had some, some difficulties where a friend of mine died when we were uh, 13. And I, you know, for me, I just had coaches that came up, came up around me that, that just loved on me and helped keep me going during that difficult time. So I just said, you know what, I want to be able to do that for the next generation. And so again, made that decision when I was 15 and went to the University of South Carolina to, uh, to work on my craft of being a basketball coach and a teacher. And I, I chose to study marketing and management. <laughs> I was afraid. I didn't want to. I was. I was. I was afraid to pull the trigger on going uh, full teaching and education. And so, um, but while I was there, I fell into being a student manager at the University of South Carolina for men's basketball. I worked with Coach Fogler and Coach Odom, and I was just in absolute heaven for those couple of years. And uh, graduated in '02, took a job at a private school in South Carolina coaching girls basketball. Did that for two years and just absolutely loved it. And so finally made that decision to go back and, and got my master's of arts and teaching and did two more years this time with Coach Odom as a, as a GA and traveling the country and doing all the things that, that, that come with high level uh, division one college basketball. And we won a couple of NIT championships and just, just had a ball being around those players, those coaches and, and then pretty much uh, stayed in touch with a guy that I've, I had worked with the South Carolina John Combs uh, during my first stint there, and he was the head varsity coach at Ridgeview High School in Columbia, and he needed a JV coach. And so I had 
had some buddies that were going the college route. I decided that you know, I went back to that decision at age 15 and said, you know what, I want to be around high school kids. So I took the JV boys job at Ridgeview High School, and that was in 2006. Coached JV boys basketball for nine years and helped with the varsity, and we were very successful. And six years ago, I went to the dark side and accepted the athletic director job at Ridgeview High School, and so I've been there. Uh, this is my 15th year at Ridgeview, and as I tell people, I never set out to be a high school athletic director, but I'm gl- really glad that I am. I get to do a lot of things and serve kids in a different way now. You know, I, I live the dream, and I still may get to live the dream again as a coach and out on the floor and blowing the whistle and everything with kids and building relationships that way. Uh, but now to be able to serve over 500 student athletes every year at Ridgeview is a real, it's a real honor, it's a real privilege, and something that I've, I've really greatly enjoyed. It's, it's, it's fatiguing, uh, especially in times of COVID, but it's something that I uh, am extraordinarily glad that I did. I love the quote there, serving kids. And it's a recurring theme with people that have an end goal in mind, but very rarely do we actually end up there. And doing the work will land you in the spot you want to be. And it sounds like you were definitely in a spot that you want to be. But I want to go back a little bit in time to your youth. You mentioned playing high school basketball and at 15 coming up with this decision to want to coach. Can you tell me a little bit about the first time you really remember being competitive in something? <laughs> yeah, so that was with my brother. Uh, my brother's five years older than me. My parents were, were great. And, um, I lost my dad about four years ago now, and mom still's with us. They both really fostered a, what I feel, felt like was a healthy uh, air of competition between us. Now, Ken was a uh, and still is a very, very good golfer. I played golf, but I knew when I stepped on a golf course that he was going to beat me. But I sure, for sure as heck, was going to try to beat him. <laughs> and so, but back, back to younger days, his friends would come over and whether I was seven and if they were all, you know, 12, 11, 12, 13 years old, uh, I got to play with those kids. And, uh, we had a, a room in our house that was called a playroom and had a little miniature basketball hoop and his friends would be, you know, pretty much playing on their knees, but, and, I, and I'm running around, like I said, five, six, seven years old, whatever, and I'm just trying to take it at them. I mean, you name it, I'm trying to go at them. And I remember getting roughed up a couple of times and you know, shedding some tears. It was, it, was, it was not tears from a, I'm scared, I can't do this. It was just I was so, so mad <laughs> that I couldn't do it, that I couldn't beat them. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's a great question. It's something I haven't thought about in a long time. But that air of competitiveness was forged early on in me. It still comes out uh, from time to time, especially if I'm on a golf course now, which I I was never a great player. But uh, uh, if I'm if I'm playing somebody that's anywhere near uh, my ability right now, I'm, I'm trying to take it at him still. <laughs> competitiveness sounds like you have a fire that builds up inside you to want to succeed. And can you tell me a little bit about how that has helped you in your career path? Well, I think it's one of the driving forces, Billy. I, I have a standard of the way that I want to do things, and some may call it a perfectionism piece. I would probably call it a perfectionism piece at times. I want to do things well. I've never taken up something and just said, ah, you know what, I'm just going to do it halfway. I'm just going to just, I'm just going to see how it goes. <laughs> it's, that's, that's never been one of my things, and I don't know if I, I got that from my dad, who was always, he was a, a college athlete, or watching my brother, who went on to play college golf, or even watching my mother, who, who played basketball in high school, too. I've just always had that, I'm, I'm going to do this well type thing. And it's really never been, 
hey, I, I'm going to do this well to prove to you that I'm worth anything or that I'm worthy or whatever. It's just I want to do it well. Yeah, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but that's not not exactly sure where that came from. But that's that's deep deep inside of me for sure. Now, how does that perfectionism cause issues for you occasionally? You know, in let's call it let's talk about your athletic director role right now. It causes big problems <laughs> for me. I mean, it's it's one of those things that if I'm not aware of it. Uh, it will run my life until I'm just ragged and I look back down the road. I'm like, why did I do all? Oh, that was me trying to be perfect. Or, yeah, that was me trying to prove something to somebody else or, you know, me and we're, we're, we're cut from the same cloth, I believe, with this personal growth and trying to get better type idea. But what I've really tried to shift towards the last few months or so is just, not necessarily personal growth, but just more of an awareness type piece of just like, can, can I just see myself doing the things that may not be very helpful to me and those around me? And so that perfectionism piece, again, that's one of those things. If I can see it, then it just it will just help me say, oh, wait, okay, do I want to engage with that perfectionism or do I just want to go and do the best that I can? And that was my dad's biggest thing. It's so funny like when I started thinking about where did that come from? What is wrong with me that I'm a perfectionist? Like, okay, first of all, there's nothing wrong with me. Second of all, dad forever, he was always at my games. He always told me, Brian, just do the best you can. And so that now permeates when I'm talking to my coaches, when I'm talking to kids. Just go out there, prepare. Yep. Go practice. Yep. Give it everything you got. Control the things you can control. Go to bed early. Hydrate. You, you know, eat right. All that kind of stuff. And then go do the best you can. It's never. You better go win. You better be perfect. We got to, you know, it's never that, you know, but I, but sometimes I will hold myself to that standard. And so, yeah, like I say, as long as I can be aware of it, it tends to help me a little bit more. I think that's really important. And I'm not sure that you're going to be able to answer this question, but do you remember the time or a time frame in your life where you were able to recognize that you need to decide whether to engage or disengage with the perfectionism? Hmm. I don't remember a time where I needed to, as I, as I'm growing and, and, and getting older, it's my hope that I never choose to engage with that, that perfectionism piece. You know, I just, I think one of the biggest things that I'm learning about me and just the human race is that we're, that we're all flawed and, and I'm not here to, to shame and say anything about social media or anything like that. But I do believe that, you know, when I open up, Twitter or Instagram or whatever, I'm seeing everybody's best shot. And for me in my brain, sometimes I'll look at it and say, oh gosh, I just, I don't measure up. I don't compare very well to that person or oh, look at what they're doing. Oh no, I'm, you know, I'm terrible. And that's just, again, that's just the perfectionism. So can I, can I A, have that awareness, but B, can I have that, just that self-acceptance of myself to say, you know what, like that said, hey, I'm doing the best I can here you know what? And I think I'm doing pretty doggone good, <laughs> you know? And so hopefully I'm answering your question with that, but it's my hope that I'll continually learn to just put that, that perfectionism piece down and, and, and never pick it up. Yeah. And you've hit on this point a little bit here with measuring yourself against other people. And sometimes we talk about winning or losing with that and that, you know, the element or the experience you just shared with social media and everybody's best shot and the fear there. But can you tell me, when you engage in a project, a competition, whatever it might be, if your motivation is the fear of losing or the joy of winning that you're seeking out of it? 
you know, when I'm when I'm at my best, it's that that joy of winning. <laughs> um, I think that you know when we look at at the bash, for example, if I if I come into that event and I think about, oh, well, I've got to make sure that everybody walks through the door, thinks that this event is better than any other event that they come to, and oh man, and, and so and then I start to approach the work from that perspective. I just wear myself out. It's no fun. The event is usually a success. People leave there and they're happy. But if I could show up to it and think, you know what, I'm just going to keep people's experiences out in front. I'm going to show them a good time. Yeah, I'm going to work my tail off and do the best I can while they're here and welcoming them in the door, find good teams to watch them watch play. Well, like I said, the the results are going to be very much the same. It's just for me, I'm going to have a way much more fun time with the second one than I would with the first one. And so that joy of winning and that, and that question, that perspective, that joy of, of, of shooting for something feels a whole lot better than trying to avoid the loss. So I know what the bash is, but a lot of people listening may not. Can you explain what the bash is and what your role in it is? So the bash is an international elite high school basketball showcase that we host right here in Columbia, South Carolina for the first seven years of its uh, existence. It was the Bojangles Bash, and Bojangles, absolutely amazing company. If uh, your your listeners in the Midwest may not be familiar with Bojangles, maybe uh, in a few years you will be, but it's it's a good southern quick service restaurant, chicken and biscuits, you know, all the good healthy stuff, right? But for seven years they put their corporate weight behind it, and so we brought in teams from Canada, New York, Florida, Kentucky. Uh, this year we had a school coming in from Arizona. So it's just been one of those events. Oak Hill Academy has come several years. It's just been one of those events that has really become a, a destination for top high school basketball teams on the boys' side for the last eight years. And so Bojangles decided to pull their sponsorship this year, which I totally understand in the middle of a pandemic. But we were able to uh, to, to pull it off this year at uh, Columbia International University, not not on campus at Ridgeview this year just because of pandemic concerns and everything like that. But it's just been one of those events that has grown and grown and grown that we've laid the vision out for. And folks in the Columbia and Richland County area here in South Carolina have just really, really put their weight behind. You know, South Carolina largely is considered a, a football state. You know, a lot of your listeners will say, well, basketball in South Carolina – well, basketball in South Carolina has been really good for a long time. You just look in the NBA with Zion and John Morant and, and further kids that have come out of South Carolina. And so to be able to have a, a high-level event like that for the last eight years has been a real hoot. And so I've served as the director of that for, for eight years. And, you know, the event was started before I ever took over, and it was one of those events that uh, depended on what hotel gave uh, the best deal that was that was who got the naming rights. You know, one year it was the the Clarion Challenge, and then it was the Marriott Shootout. I think, and I, you know, I'm, I'm messing up those names, but once we developed that partnership with Bojangles and made a pitch to them about being a title sponsor, that's when it really, really, uh, really took off. And we've had, uh, you know, we talk about social media, but you know, the Bash Hoops dot com and at the Bash Hoops on social, you know, folks who just reach out to us constantly especially as we get close to the event and we start making a big social media push. But they say, hey, hey, first of all, do you have any room this year for, for us? And then, B, how about next year? How about next? Can we get in? 
And uh, so we just have teams from all over the country to just clamor that want to get in the event. And, and that's because because we, we roll out the red carpet to them and it, we just treat them well when they're here and uh, want to show them a good time. And so we've been able to do that for the last last eight years. And so um, it's one of those. I love a lot of my job, but it's one of those jobs that I that I do that I really really love. <laughs> and I'll share the social media platforms for the bash you know, people to go just go check it out and check out some of the social media stuff that you do and this year obviously the crowd was a bit diminished but in the past you know you pack a gym and it is a really cool event and i'm excited about it even though i've never even been to it but i want to know because i'm a nerd this way tell me during the event what is your role and what exactly are you doing while the event's going on that help it run smoothly and help it run so successfully what I'm learning is the, the more I do this, the more I get the heck out of the way, the smoother it runs. <laughs> and so we, well, we, me, I've, I've developed a, a long punch list of, of things that go into the event, starting from uh, December 15th, right when we finish the event, uh, all the way up to the start of the event and things that happen during the event that need to happen to me, again, kind of going back to my earlier answer of, I want to do things at a high level and I want to do things well. And so there's a lot there are, you know, I mean, it's name tag creation to signage and arrows and just every little detail to me that my mind sees to help an event run smoothly. Those are the things that I'm doing. But again, I go back to my, my original answer now is that the more that I can hand those jobs off where it was last year, I hired a volunteer coordinator and we run about 30 to 40 volunteers over a weekend, and that's a big job. And for a lot of years, I was doing that all the while trying to deal with teams when they were coming in and washing uniforms when they were coming. You know, so it's like, well, there's only one of me to go around, and I'm driving myself crazy over a weekend. So I spent a few hundred bucks last year and hired a volunteer coordinator and said, hey, here's the list of everybody. Here's what they're doing. Here's when they're going to show up. And you got them all weekend. And that was the greatest thing ever. And our volunteers did a great job, and I didn't have to worry about it all weekend. If there was something that was was going on that, that they needed my attention, of course, I would step in there. So there's there's a lot of things that I can be doing, but uh, but to answer your question, the, the more that I just get the heck out of the way, the smoother smoother things run. But I think the the important thing for me to to, to tell you and tell your listeners is casting that vision having meetings ahead of time, telling folks like, hey, this is this is the expectation. This is how we do it. This is what schools are looking for. This is why they come to the bash. Um, and then finding people that are willing to do that for, for a weekend and give of their time and, you know, and carry that vision forward in their own special way, uh, has, that's been a real big key for us. So organization planning are huge there. And obviously having to be in the trenches to understand what all goes into that punch list is crucial. And then as you've gained the experience, you're able to delegate, which is huge. But a very important piece I would imagine there is communication. Can you tell me how your communication skills have improved? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, I don't know if it was a, a Bobby Crimmins thing or Bobby Knight, one, one of those highly successful coaches from years gone by, just talked about, he never wanted his team to be unclear about what was expected of them when they stepped on the floor. And for the first few years, I would say, hey, this is what we need to do. And then I would look, and it was being done some, a completely different way than what I was like, what, 
what's going on? I thought I was clear. And it's realizing that it may make sense in my head, but my community, to your question, my communication skills of actually getting that point across in a way and then even checking for understanding some old teacher training, like, and what did you hear me say? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Now, now you got it. Now go, go do it. Um, it's been, it's been huge. And again, the, the, the more that I can get out of the way, the more time I have to spend with somebody to say, all right, Hey, you're in charge of this. Uh, you're in charge of filming the games. This is how do you do it? This is how you upload the film here. You got it. Great. You know, so I, I'm able to spend a little, uh, a little more time with everybody to communicate that clearly to make sure they understand. So I still have a long way to go, Billy. I can even, you know, I'll go back and listen to this episode. And I'm like, why did I say it that way? I meant to say it this way. You know, so always trying to improve on that. And I think that's going to be a, a lifelong journey for me for sure. <laughs> I think it's really interesting. You know, you mentioned you didn't get a education degree at South Carolina. You got a marketing and management degree and that's really what you're doing with this is marketing and management. So it did come full circle and it paid off for you. And I'm curious about, a mentor that you have had or have in your life and what's a lesson that you've learned from them to help you be successful in your role? Well, I've had several and I could go on for hours, but the, the first one that pops in was my senior year at South Carolina. It was a, an organizational behavior class. Steve Garris was the professor and some of the things that he shared in there, I'll never forget. I still am sitting in this room upstairs somewhere in here. Yep, there it is right there. I've got uh, the notebook from that, that's, that from that class, my senior year, chock full of quotes and everything. But the, the biggest thing that I got from him was talking about just having experiences. He tell, he, he was one of those professors that, um, he would say things like, y'all, when you get into an elevator, strike up a conversation with at least one person in every elevator that you step into. And I'm like, there's no way. No, <laughs> no, not, not a shot. There's no, no there's no chance I'm going to do that. <laughs> and, but when I actually do it, I realized what he was, what he was telling us. Well, like he said, like I said, have experiences, talk to people every time you do it, just get a little bit better, just get a little bit better. And it's been fascinating. Some of the conversations that I've had with people in elevators and sometimes uh, the people that don't talk back, like, how you doing? Very great. All right, nope, that's it. All right, no, they're not going to talk. That's okay. You know, but just actually just showing up and pushing through that fear. But that, that advice of having experiences is something that I've lived out in my own life. And I'm uh, in the middle of a pandemic is, is honestly driving me a little bit crazy that I'm having less experiences, at least traveling the world like I do. But I also look at, again, like getting to know you, like, well, this is an experience right here. How, we have a podcast. We had you on as a guest. Boom, here we go. I'm on your podcast. This is another a great experience. And, you know, why not in the middle of a pandemic have a conversation with Billy Kaler, right? And so uh, I try to pass that on to my coaches as an AD. And that's, again, you know, in the, in the context of this event, try to pass that on to all the teams and, and fans and players and coaches that come through our doors. Um, we want it to be a great experience for everybody. And I just think that, you know, I could go on about Mr. Garris, but that was, he was one of those guys I got to stay in touch with for many, many years after, after that class. It was very transformational for me. Just, just have an experience. When it's so important and we've heard it time and time again, that people don't necessarily end up in their end career that they have a plan for, but they ran into somebody who knew somebody. And just by being out there in the field and talking to people gives you those experiences. And to one thing with, you know, volunteers that you have at the event, 
coordinating and organizing and getting volunteers is really, really difficult. And to be able to show them that, hey, this will help you because you're going to meet so many people and you can learn from them or make connections with them and they may help you down the road, that young people, and I was guilty of this myself, often thought we knew it all and weren't really to see that through an open lens. So where I'm going with this is do you remember having that kind of fear when you were younger and when you remember kind of getting over it to be able to talk to people in the elevator? <laughs> well, I'm in my 40s and I still get afraid. So I, it, honestly, it's it's one of those things that um, it's a great question, Billy. I, I grew up as the, at least I had this belief and this view of myself that I was the quiet kid, that I was the shy kid. And your listeners might be like, what? what is this? this guy has not stopped talking for half an hour. And so I still have that deep-seated belief that, you know, that, hey, nobody wants to talk to me, I don't belong, or whatever whatever junk I'm, I'm choosing to believe about myself. So I don't know if there was one time where I just really said, oh, now, yeah, now I can have a conversation with people, but it's just that repeated over and over, just showing up, just showing up. And, you know, I'll tell you this story. I, I was in Japan, um, not this past summer, but the summer before, and I was down in a little town called Okayama, and I walked past the, when I travel, usually I'm traveling by myself, and I've got a backpack, and that's it. And I, I walked past this restaurant on the way to the hostel, and I, and I looked at it, and I said, yeah, you know, that place looks a little, uh, maybe a little scary. I don't know, um, but let me, it looks it looks kind of cool. Let me, let me see if I can go in there. And I, I, I dropped my bag in the hostel, and I came back, and I was like, I don't know if I can go in there. I, I don't know if I feel safe there. But long story short, I walked in, very tiny place, about four people are in there eating. Nobody spoke any English. Well, ended up being, me and one lady spoke a little bit of English. And within about 45 minutes, I was eating one of the best meals I had when I was over there. I finished the meal. Uh, the cook that was back in the back, he brought out, a, brought out two guitars, one for me and one for this guy sitting next to me. He picked up one himself. And so me and two Japanese guys are in there playing the blues for a little bit. You know, and so I'm like, wait a minute, that's the moment in the elevator, right? It's just like, actually, I just stepped into that restaurant and all of these incredible experiences started happening just because I showed up. That was it, <laughs> you know? And so I've got, I've got a bank of those types of experiences and memories to draw on that take me back to Steve Garris's class to him say, just have experiences. Okay, great. I'll get on a plane, go to Japan. Boom. I'll walk into a restaurant. I'll play the blues with these two dudes. That did, and we just had a ball, you know? And so, I, hopefully I'm answering your question with that. I just that, it, that is so out of a movie. That is not, that <laughs> is not something it you was. can write up. And yeah. as you reference previous interviews on your podcast, the first episode on my podcast, Abby Sutherland referenced dancing with the fear and standing outside that restaurant. You had a decision to make walk away from it or dance with it. You leaned in and danced with it. And that is a memory you'll never forget. And I, my jaw hit the floor because that is just phenomenal to be somewhere where you have a communication barrier, but food and music was the gap for you. Right. Right. And I'd be lying if I said that was the only time it's ever happened. I did the same similar type thing happened on my first trip overseas in Ireland and I playing guitar in a pub in Ireland. What in the world is happening? You know? And so it's just, again, just, I love that dancing with the fear. And I think about it too, really like, how many times have I walked past the proverbial restaurant and I didn't walk in? What experience did I miss out on 
because I did buy into the fear. I did listen to some message about myself that I didn't belong or whatever. In reality, it doesn't matter. Like I walked past it. That's okay. But I just happened to walk into that restaurant and it was awesome. <laughs> right. And one thing that I referenced a lot when I was coaching was be comfortable being uncomfortable. And it's the same type of situation. You can be uncomfortable inside to walk past it, or you can try to get comfortable with the uncertainty and walk in there and see where it happens. And you know what? It may be a 80% failure rate, but that 20% of the time is going to be the experiences you remember and the references that you can make for other portions of your life going forward. Well, I think you're right. And I think the thing about even that word failure, we were talking about this uh, one of a, a recent episode on our podcast and just uh, really like what what is failure? Is it just information or is it really like, oh, it's just an indictment, like, oh, I really fail here? Like, no, like for me, like I just choose to believe it's just information. And the more that I can hold on to that as the truth, the, the, the better off the next time I'm faced with a choice, I'll be able to make a different decision, if that makes any sense. It sounds like you're getting pretty philosophical and trying to figure out uh, what's real and what's not real. And you guys may be into some mind altering stuff there. <laughs> well, um, yeah, well, yeah, it's uh, that's been a pursuit for a long, long time in my life <laughs> just to find out what the truth is and what's real. And that's where the juice is for me, Billy. <laughs> well, you've mentioned the podcast a few times. And so it's called the Greatest Games Podcast. Can you tell me about how it started and why it started? Yeah, so my buddy Chris de Blasio, who uh, was our video coordinator in South Carolina when I started to be a manager, he pitched the idea to me early quarantine back in the springtime. I told him, I said, you know, I've always wanted to have a podcast. I listen to podcasts all the time. I want to figure out how to how to have one. Let's figure out a, you know, a way to do some technology here, see if we can make it work. He lives up in New Jersey. I'm down here in South Carolina. And so we fired up Zoom one day and just played around with it a little bit and, and figured out, hey, this is not that hard to do. Figured out the, some of the back end stuff. And he said, well, it literally, like, once we got figured out that it was pretty easy, he said, well, you know, I've had an idea of doing a, a podcast and getting basketball coaches on just to talk about, you know, their greatest game, any the game that they've been a part of as a coach. And doesn't matter what level or anything like that. I want to ask him some other questions, or, you know, some life-related questions, some basketball-related questions, but then we get to their greatest game. We could talk about it, you know. And he said, you want to be a co-host with me? I said, sure, this is great. You know, like I said, the, pan- the pandemic had just started. I was sitting in my house by myself for hours upon hours a day, and I said, well, why not? And so we started it, Billy, and, you know, right about right now, we're, we're in the 80s for episodes, and we're coming up on – episode 100 and it's been a it's been a blast i mean to get guy to you know to get you on wisconsin we've lost count of how many states we've been in them close to 17 to 20 states i think now i need to go back and count that uh we've had uh, high school coaches middle school coaches college assistants college uh, head coaches division one division two division three really had some really great conversations and, and then honestly i know i've referenced a couple times to get to know you but you know, I'll, I'll never forget listening you know actually end the interview with you listening to your answers i'm thinking this guy's unbelievable like what how lucky are we to be getting to talk to billy kaler like this guy's awesome and so to be able to stay in touch with you and get to know you through steve collins up there uh in wisconsin has been it's been a real hoot but we've had some really cool guests phil martelli frank martin dave odom eddie fogler some of you know, our south carolina guys and it's been it's been a lot of fun well, and you and Chris are having fun, and that permeates through the podcast. I would encourage people to go check that podcast out. There's a variety of coaches and levels that have 
differing experiences and it's not just about basketball i mean we started talking about travel and food and all kinds of stuff when i was chatting with you guys and then we eventually got back around to the basketball part of it but we were just having fun like you mentioned and so where is it going what's the future plans for that podcast well the the trajectory is to keep going and it's just you know we're not sure how much longer we're going to be in a a quarantine situation and so first of all it, it gives us something really fun to do to be able to talk to coaches from all over, but we really want to be able to give back. We want folks to be able to listen to it and just glean maybe one or two things like, oh, I didn't really think about that. I mean, I think about, you know, your episode, I think about Jesse Batista's episode, who is the AD here at Drew High School in, in South Carolina. He he talked a lot about experiences. And he, and he talked about on that episode, he said, I want people to listen to this and think like, oh, wow, I didn't think about doing that. I might try that with my team, you know, so just, just to keep going where we're going, we don't really have any uh, end goals or like, oh, we better be at uh, one million subscribers by next year. No, like it's it's okay. We, we have we have people listening to it, and we enjoy doing it, and that's the biggest thing for us right now in, in terms of where we want to go with it. Well, it's really important to understand that it's a leisure and a hobby for you because I've had the same type of thing that you've had where people are like, well, how many people are listening? And I tell them the same thing every time. I haven't looked at the user numbers and I don't want to look at the user numbers because as soon as I do, it then becomes a competition for me because I know myself and I will <laughs> no longer find joy in it because I will constantly be working and then it'll become work rather than just joy. And that's hard for people to understand and they just don't necessarily fully understand my competitiveness, which is why I started this and which is why it's fun for me to talk to people and get their perspective because I talk to people who do the same thing I do with trying to put my boots on faster than the person next to me or whatever it may be. And then there's people who are completely the opposite. And that's really the fun part is to be able to share these stories and these conversations because you and I have talked on the phone a few times, just trying to, you're helping me out with a few things and I can provide some thoughts for you with some of the stuff you have going on and just recording these conversations to give them an outlet for whoever to learn something, as you just mentioned with yours, and that's the best part of it, and it's really fun. So I really appreciate you coming on, and I want to finish up with a couple things here. Can you tell me about a project that you have coming up and where your motivation is for that project? Figuring out high school sports after the break here. Uh, we've been in, as I mentioned, off, off the year, but uh, a little bit of a shutdown situation right now. So trying to figure out, you know, as I watch college games, or as I watch pro, figuring out, like, oh, I like even down to the chair placement. Like, oh, that's really smart how they did that. Let's do, let's do that so we can preserve the season for our kids as, as best we can. So that's really the biggest project. You know, newest project really is just trying to figure out the best way to safely implement sports at the high school level and to where our kids can continue to play and do the things that they love. And in a, in a as safe as manner as possible because I mean I know I can't I can't guarantee everybody's safety in this in this world we live in but I can do the best I can with, with trying to provide a safe environment that's really the, the biggest thing and the motivation for that Billy I, I go back to August the third was the first day that our fall sports student athletes were able to get on campus after about a four to five month shutdown and that was one of the greatest days I'll, I'll never forget watching our kids. I had spray painted more dots around our fields, six feet apart. You know, we had done all the preparation, bring their own water bottles, kids wearing a mask, all that kind of stuff. But we had kids spread out everywhere, but that was the first day 
that kids and coaches were on campus. And I saw kids smiling, and I saw coaches smiling, and I saw me smiling like, oh, that's what we're doing here. We're providing kids an opportunity to play sports in high school. And so that's the motivation if I, for that project is to really make sure that we can keep this going and doing my part to do it uh, in a way to where kids can keep playing. That is one of the best lead-outs that I've heard in a while, but I'm not going to let that be the end because there's one question that I like to ask. <laughs> And I actually had a former player on yesterday, and he knew it was coming, so I threw a curveball at him. But I'll, I'll give you my question that I like to find the answer to. If you could have one superhero power, what would it be, and what would you do with it? For me, this this one's a personal one for me. Is that that I would know I would know that I belong, <laughs> as weird as that may sound, and that that people actually do accept and want me around, and I would. That goes back to that perfectionism answer because a lot of times when I'm believing that I don't belong or that I do have to prove that I need to be perfect, that's when I get off base. <laughs> and so if I if I had a superpower, it would always know that I'm just fine the way that I am, that I'm flawed and I'm human and all that kind of stuff. But I can just and, and I would what I would do with that is I would just all the time fully show up as me and let that just be it. I'd just be me. That'd be it. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it, it makes sense in my head. <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense because it goes back to the dancing with the fear part of having that internal fear, that internal doubt, and being able to push through it because you know that the restaurant with the food and the guitar is on the other side. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, Ryan, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your experiences with me. I always enjoy chatting with you, and I always learn something new. And I look forward to seeing where your podcast is headed and also where the bash is headed next year. Well, Billy, I, I appreciate you having me on. It's been always good to connect with you. I love what you're doing with this. If I can help you any moving forward, please let me know. Next time on Competitive Mindset. Are you competing for a comparison or are you competing for yourself? Competitive Mindset Music was produced by DJ Jojo Moore, and all images were created by Elena Keel. Be sure to subscribe, rate, leave a review, and follow us at Competitive Pod.